0: that ministry tonight turn your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel and chapter 28 the book of Ezekiel chapter uh, 28 and um, I make it a practice personally to read through the Bible uh, just for my own personal reading and uh, this chapter was uh, I've been reading through the book of Ezekiel and just kind of trying to go slow and think about things and ponder and um, and uh, this sermon kind of flows out of that this evening. I believe it will help us. Ezekiel chapter 28. I read an interesting article about John McAfee. John McAfee, uh, many of you have heard about him, but you may not know that is who you've heard about. Uh, he is the one who invented the McAfee antivirus software and comes in many computers. And uh, he was the first... Uh, one, to write antivirus software, turned it into a company, became an internet millionaire. And he's all over the news because uh, this man took his wealth. He was worth $100 million and he sold his company and he went to Beliefs. And uh, some of us have been to Beliefs. It's not a very nice place and uh, it's probably a lesson in indulgence. He's crazy now. And uh, apparently he had some sort of conflict with one of his neighbors over McAfee's dogs. um, uh, And uh, the neighbor ended up shot in the head. And today they're looking for John McAfee for murder. Here's a man who was worth $100 million. And the article was saying that he called a uh, journalist here in America, that's for Wired Magazine, while he's on the lam, while he's running from the police... He is uh, describing that as he is uh, trying to get away from the police, he is uh, living in, in, in squalor. He is sleeping on lice-infested mastresses. He is in filth. He has a gun, and he knows that the authorities are closing in on him. Here's a man who is worth $100 million. He has the world by the toe. And yet here, and here he is living in absolute squalor in a third world country. The authorities are closing in on him. He's lost everything. Most of you probably heard about General David Petraeus and this man that may have been the most respected military man in America, who today is exposed and disgraced for his adultery. They have a, we have a word for the, what's happened to these men. The reason why they command headlines and the term is, this is a fall from grace. These were men who were in the highest uh, 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 places of of, uh, government or uh, highest places of wealth and immediately fell from that exalted place down to where they are today. Tonight, I want to preach on the greatest fall from grace of all time and what became of the individual that fell. I'm going to preach on the devil tonight. Because so many Christians don't appreciate and understand who exactly they are warring against. They know about the devil, they hear that term all the time. But yet they don't really think through what exactly is taking place and the arena that they have now stepped into as believers in Jesus Christ. And so I want to preach a sermon called Satan, Ezekiel 28, verse 12. I know some of you are thinking, I didn't come to church to hear about Satan. I came to hear about Jesus. But don't worry, you're going to hear about Jesus tonight. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. It says, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I establish you. You were in the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings, that they might gaze at you. Father, I pray tonight for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to make your word live. God, I pray that we will expose the lives of the devil and you will set men and fr- women free. God, we thank you for the deliverance that is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, let me begin and talk about the origin of the devil tonight. And so, it's very important when you begin to understand uh, the whole uh, teaching about Satan in the Bible that you are looking at dual prophecies. And what a dual prophecy is, uh, and you find this quite often in the Bible, is that when the prophet gave the prophecy... He was speaking about something that was taking place right then or about to take place. And he's dealing with a very real situation, an existing empire or an existing throne. But as he begins to speak about a particular throne or empire, he begins to say things that could not possibly apply to any man. Or it begins to aim much higher than what is presently going on to something that is far greater and have such a far deeper spiritual meaning. For example, you will read prophecies about King David uh, and about his life and and, and and what he was going to do, but yet we know from the New Testament that those prophecies didn't just apply to King David, but they actually were pointing to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they had a double meaning or a dual meaning and so it is in our text. The prophecy is about the king uh, of Tyre. Now Tyre was a prosperous island city uh, just north of Israel. Um, It uh, had a tremendous wealth and tremendous influence um, and I'll probably preach on this not too distant future. Uh, Geographically it it was separated by mountains and water and so it was a secure place um, a place that uh, nobody thought could ever be attacked. And in the, ta- uh, in the prophecy, Ezekiel uh, is prophesying the destruction in chapters 27 and 28 of, of that city. And it took place actually 14 years after uh, he gives his prophecy. But when he begins to talk about the king of Tyre, he begins to say things and describe things uh, that are way beyond um, a man that ruled over a city state. Listen to these words, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The workmanship of timbrels and pipes was prepared for you in the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I establish you, you are on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Till iniquity was found in you. And so Ezekiel begins to describe something uh, that was heavenly, and he describes an anointed cherub or angel, a powerful angel uh, that falls um, into sin. You can read in Revelations chapter 12 uh, describing this fall and says uh, that uh, he drew a third of the angels with him. Uh, and so we're talking about a very powerful uh, 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 angel, an angelic being created by God uh, who had great privilege, great access uh, and great power and great influence. And the Bible says that when he fell, he took a third uh, of the angels with him. There are three important words uh, to understand about the origins of the devil. The first is the word privilege. He was given incredible privilege. Some have called him the song leader um, of heaven. um, That uh, he led the worship. Isaiah 14 is the other major prophecy about the devil. In the Old Testament, again, it is a dual prophecy. Um, And in this prophecy, we are told um, that the devil has a name. Isaiah 14, 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? His name is Lucifer, which means the morning star or the day star. He had a place of power and access to the throne, uh, and as I said, uh, a place of incredible influence. Not only was there privilege, but the second thing you understand about this angel uh, is that he became filled with pride. Satan is the king of pride, uh, and pride became his undoing. The Bible says in our text that he became enamored uh, with himself. Verse 17, uh, your heart was lifted up uh, because... uh, of your beauty. That here this angelic being that was, uh, was beautiful um, and powerful and influential um, and the Bible says his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. Listen to Isaiah 14 verse 13. You have said in your heart I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Five times in this chapter, in that little statement, you read the words, I Will um, This is a picture of rebellion, uh, of self-will um, as uh, this, uh, uh, this uh, uh, infatuation with himself um, overtook him. Uh, and the Bible says that in his pride, um, he was destroyed. Now, all of us who have lived life um, have seen people follow this pattern. All of us have seen people that maybe had some ability or some favor, some level of gifting in their life. And then uh, as they began to place confidence in themselves or become full of themselves, uh, that uh, in that place of privilege, pride got a hold of them and ended up destroying them. How many have seen that? And yet the Bible says the first time it happened, it happened with Satan. The first time it took place, uh, it happened uh, right here um, because um, he became enamored um, with himself. Even the Apostle Paul, when he is writing to Timothy, giving him a list of standards for those who would preach the gospel, said, don't take a novice, uh, somebody that maybe has all the outward abilities and giftings, but his character hasn't been entirely formed yet. He says, don't promote someone too fast, lest being." Lifted up in pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Uh, Or the Apostle Paul reaches back to Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, uh, and he says that this is a pattern uh, that started with the devil and that pride is what brought him down. Privilege and then pride. You know, Ernie Toppin, many of you know our brother Ernie Toppin is a, a pastor now in London, England. And he came here a couple of times and uh, preached revivals for us. I've gotten to know him uh, pretty well. And before Ernie became a Christian, he was a, a professional singer in the London R&B uh, 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 movement there. He was, you know, was on MTV, made videos and everything. And, uh, you know, he's an outstanding singer. He is probably the best singer I know. And uh, he, one time we were talking about music and talent uh, and he says he said to me you have to be careful uh, because when you're involved in music uh, there's some luciferian pride that was interesting because i'd never heard that term in that context luciferian pride um, and obviously he's reaching back to this prophecy we're reading uh, there was something about music uh, and uh, gifting and ability uh, that uh, you better be careful about Privilege and pride. The third word is the word plummet. Because the Bible says he satan fell from this exalted place. That what happens, he went uh, from a place of privilege. He began to look around at his access and his power and his influence. Pride lifted him up. um, And the Bible says that pride always leads to a fall. Isaiah 14, 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Isaiah 14, 15, Yet yeah, you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Our text, Ezekiel 28, 16, Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. Uh, verse 17, I cast you to the ground. Um, Luke 10, 18, the Lord Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so we begin to look all through the word of God and we began to see this pattern. We begin to see this uh, take place, um, and so this anointed cherub filled with pride, the Bible says he is now a fallen angel, that he was taken from that exalted place, uh, and he was brought low. I want to talk to you tonight, secondly, then, about the devil in the present. Those are his origins. Let's talk about the present. I've got news for you tonight, church. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. Now, if you're old like me, you remember that was a book by Hal Lindsey in the 1970s. It was a best-selling book when he wrote this book. It was in the uh, in the, uh, the the midst of the Jesus People movement. Uh, it captured the eyes of America. It became a bestseller. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth because when you begin to read the Word of God you begin to understand uh, that when he fell, he fell to the forum and the arena in which you and I lived. Now, I know that there are people today that if you say you believe in the devil or acknowledge that there is Satan, you might as well say you believe in the boogeyman or la llorona or the donkey lady. That, uh, that somehow to say you believe in the devil or to pr- talk about Satan, it's like, uh, well, what do you mean Satan? I thought Satan was kind of relegated to Jason and Freddy Krueger and Madonna. You know that uh, that uh, you know these are just um, uh, figures; they're not real people. They are just you know entertainment uh, commentary. They, they don't really have any real meaning. What do you mean the devil? You know, people refer to the devil, and when they refer to the devil, they don't really believe in a in, in, in a being. They believe in, uh, uh, you know, just kind of evil. Do you believe, you know, I, I remember last year, uh, four years ago, in one of the presidential interviews, uh, when they, they asked a question of John McCain and, and uh, Barack Obama, do you believe in evil? Or does evil exist? And of course, you know, they use, you know, something that happened in Darfur and on and on and on. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, do you believe that there is a, 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 an adversary who is against you, a being that opposes you? Two-thirds of Americans, according to George Barna, don't believe there is an actual devil. These same people believe, claim to believe in God. Um, Eighty-some percent claim to believe the Bible's the word of God. Uh, but the question is, do you believe that there's a devil? Sixty percent of Americans don't believe there's a real devil. Here's a remarkable thing, or uh, to sixty-six percent, in this uh, survey, sixty percent of Christians believe the devil quote is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. These are Christians, six out of ten people who call themselves Christians. But how many know calling yourself a Christian doesn't necessarily make you a Christian? But in this survey, six out of ten uh, uh, say, well, you know, there's not really a devil, but he's kind of symbolic of evil. Or in other words, this is not an actual being. Never mind over and over and over again. The Bible refers to it five times in the Old Testament, 72 times in the New Testament. It describes this being. Oh, no, that's not really a being. It's just this evil thing that's out there. Oh, no, no, my friend. There's a real devil, and the devil is alive and well on planet Earth. See, a real Christian doesn't just have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The truth is that he also has a personal relationship with the devil. He's aware of them. That there is a role there. There is an adversary. There is an entity that is out there working against the life uh, of a believer. Uh, and you and I this evening, if we're going to live for God, need to be aware of our adversary. Not just this ethereal a principle of evil that's out there. No, no, no. There is an enemy. And you and I have to strike that balance between understanding the enemy's there and without spending our, our entire time fixating on him. I read this little thing about a snake that's found in Haiti. It's an interesting snake because this snake doesn't have a lot of power. But its power is in its ability to represent itself. And so if you happen to come across this snake, the first thing it will do when it's threatened is it will coil like a rattlesnake and begin to make noises so that you begin to think it's a rattlesnake. But upon examination, it has no rattler. It's not. It just does that to frighten and scare any possible threat. If that doesn't work, then the second thing the snake does is it has the ability to play possum or lie there as though it's dead, so you will ignore it. And the writer of this little paragraph made the comment that's the way the devil is uh, on, to many people. Uh, he has got people so afraid and so scared, uh, he intimidates and threatens, uh, and then at the same time to others they act like, oh, there's no devil, that's, uh, that's, there's no devil. He's not a problem, he's not a threat at all. Peter said, be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, listen to me tonight. He's not just my adversary. He's your adversary. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That means that as a Christian, you need to understand, Satan is alive and well on planet earth. That that." that, that you're going to live for God. You don't just ignore him. You don't walk around and act like he's dead. Oh, no. Be sober. Be vigilant. Uh, listen, uh, if um, uh, we had gotten a call from the city and said, listen, uh, a, 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 a lion broke out of the zoo down at Brackenridge Park and jumped on a bus and made his way out here to Marbach in 410. And folks say he's been seen lingering here in the, up uh, by the event center. How many know if he said, look, there, there's a lion out there. How many know you'd be a little more careful walking to your car? I'm a little more careful of the German Shepherd out there, you know. <laughs> Peter says you better well, you better be aware of these things. The Apostle Paul says, "Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices." He says Listen, if you act like there's no devil, then you are ignorant. That is what he says. If you function and you live life and you make all your decisions and you process everything that happens in life as if there's no devil, you are functioning in ignorance. You are, you are failing to see that he is a he's out there. And these uh, uh, spiritual fathers are trying to help us and say you better live your life with an awareness that he is a fallen angel and he's fallen to this domain that we are living in and functioning in right now. Your success as a Christian depends on whether or not you recognize those devices. Whether you have the ability to say, you know what, that's the devil. I want to talk to you about two of them that the Word of God clearly says are the devices of the devil. And these are very basic, but it's worth reminding ourselves. Number one, that is the device of temptation. Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, the Bible calls Satan temptation. The tempter. That he is the tempter uh, and he will tempt anyone. We are first introduced to him in the pages of the Bible in Genesis. uh, Where the Bible says uh, he comes and he begins to tempt Eve. That he was subtle uh, and he began to work and beguile and persuade Eve to do what she wasn't supposed to do. Uh, He began to get into her mind. uh, Began to focus her on the forbidden fruit. uh, Began to convince her that uh, true fulfillment uh, and satisfaction... uh, came by not doing what God so clearly said to do uh, and he tempted her and we know that Eve fell um, that he is the master of disguise that he is the tempter tonight and you say oh Pastor Ruby I I already know that well let me ask you then do you understand that the areas you're being tempted in right now uh, uh, the source of those temptations are the devil are you able to now look up at perhaps what's going on in your life and say, you know, the, what is behind this temptation? What is behind, uh, uh, let's say, that man on the job that's trying to take you out uh, or that woman that's flirting with you uh, or perhaps uh, as you move towards the holidays uh, that you might just take a little vacation from Christianity and knock down a few drinks, uh, that you understand that behind that is Satan. That that is how you process temptation. That you are able to look at your temptation and realize uh, that this is not random. This isn't just you just kind of in a moment of weakness, but there is a strategy working against your life. See, in nearly 30 years of being a pastor, I've learned seen the other side of temptation. I've seen the ruined lives from people who were caught up in a temptation but fail to realize uh, that Satan is alive and well on planet earth. And so when they begin to go through this arena of temptation, uh, all the arguments, all the justifications, all the rationalizations, all the excuses uh, that were going out there as to why they did this, and if they didn't do that, if this person hadn't hurt me, and if this hadn't taken place, uh, and they failed to realize that all it simply was was a strategy, a device. The word device literally means a tactic or a weapon. That the devil just simply uses his temptation. That what has happened is that when men fell, Satan in his pride uh, began to, in an anger over having lost a blessing uh, and the access to the Father deeply resents you and I that are saved that have access that he once had. And so he does everything he can to destroy the child of God. I've seen it. There are people that are polite enough to come and say to me, Pastor, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Uh, you know what? That's a lie. Don't listen. That's a strategy. Uh, and, and, uh, and they'll sometimes even say, I know the devil's lying to me, but. And they will go off and not even understand their function in ignorance. I've seen the incredible devastation in marriages and homes and families. And dignity and self-respect. One of the best commercials I ever heard on the radio. I know I've shared this before, but it just fits so well. I was in Corpus Christi. Yolanda and I were down there preaching, and we—I think—we were heading back. I'm listening to the radio, and this is oh, probably six, seven, eight years ago. The whole MySpace and you know chat room thing was barely taking off. And in this, there's a there's a two teenagers, adolescent voices, and they're they're talking and. You, you, they're communicating by, by in some sort of a chat room because they play the, 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 the clatter of the keyboard and hi, how are you? And what's going on? And they're going back and forth talking, an adolescent conversation. But as they continue to talk, one voice starts to change and it gets deeper and deeper. And what they were, the image they were trying to capture there is that here was some uh, 12, 13-year-old adolescent uh, thinking they're talking to somebody their age. But in fact, uh, they're actually talking to a sexual predator. They don't understand that. They don't know that. Uh, they're opening up. They're, they're talking about their hobbies. Uh, they're giving up personal information. Uh, and they're building a relationship as this other person's voice jets deeper and deeper uh, until it sounds like an adult uh, man. Uh, and they did an excellent job uh, of illustrating that people do not understand what you are messing with. Somebody said Satan promises the best but pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. Jesus called him the father of lies. Listen, the devil cannot make you sin tonight. Don't come to me and say, Pastor Ruby, I couldn't help myself. I I had to do it. Uh, He can't make you do anything, but he can deceive you into doing anything. He can portray something. He can dress it up. The Bible says of Nimrod that he was a a hunter of the souls of men. The Old Testament founder of Babylon, the picture of Satan. He was a hunter of the souls of men. It's November. This is hunting season. All you have to do is go down to Bass Pro Shop. um, Look at all the camouflage uh, you know, uh, outfits that you can wear. They have camouflage tents. Uh, you can buy paint. Uh, you can get deer urine and spray it all over yourself. Why you would do that, I don't know. Uh You can you can do all kinds of things. They make money uh teaching people how to hunt and disguise themselves to catch their prey. Uh, he is the hunter of the souls of man. And that means that he will dress sin up to make it look so appealing for you. Because he's alive and well on planet earth tonight. And I submit to you because in the group this size, there are people here, you are considering sin. You, were, you came here and you're already plotting and planning and thinking through. Uh, I'm telling you tonight, I'm bringing a word from God for you uh, that the origin of that temptation is Satan himself. And he's put a nice little lure on that worm. He's got it all figured out. He's got it all dressed up. Uh, and he's just tossed it into the water. Uh, and there you are. But I'm telling you tonight, don't kid yourself. It is a strategy of Satan. It is a device. Do not live in ignorance tonight. Secondly, there's a device of accusation. The same enemy that tempts you to sin is the same one who condemns you after you sin. The same one who dropped the line in the water and you bit it is the first one to grab the hook and pull you up and shame you for what you've done. The Bible says in the book of Revelations chapter 12 verse 10, he is the accuser of the brethren. That he hates the child of God. He hates the fact that we have what he forfeited. And so uh, the idea is I'm going to tempt you and when you fall, I'm going to crush you. That he is going to seek to destroy the child of God. Acts 10.38, Jesus Christ went about doing good healing all that were oppressed of the devil. The devil tonight doesn't want to bless you. He wants to oppress you. He wants to vex you. He wants to uh, put a cloud over your spirit. He wants you to see nothing but your failures and your weaknesses. He wants to shame you into thinking that, that God could not possibly love somebody like you. I've shared in the past the story of Casper Hauser, this strange story of this boy that appeared out of nowhere in Europe. He was like an animal. He was hunched over. And they just thought he was just an insane child. And they began to work with him and figured out a way to communicate with him. And as they began to communicate this wild boy began to tell the story of having been raised all his life in a cage and been treated like an animal and somehow it escaped and as they began to communicate and began to investigate they began to to make its way into the papers of Europe about this strange boy that told this amazing story of having been raised in a dungeon in a cage but seemed to have a very high intelligence once they began to talk to him and they began to investigate who is this boy? Where did he come from? And and he began to give interviews, and then one day uh, in the streets of Europe, uh, he was murdered. It was as if it was an assassination. And they look back on his life and they surmise that what actually happened is that Caspar Hauser was actually probably born into royalty. And that somebody wanting to usurp the throne. Of some kingdom in Europe, knowing that this was the heir, had taken and put him in this dungeon and uh, had uh, claimed that he had died uh, and trying to usurp the throne and the inheritance that belonged to him. And he had managed to survive. And somebody out there realized if, if, the, if people realize who this is, this, this boy is, going, is the rightful heir to a throne in Europe. And so they had him killed. And I remember reading that story and realizing, listen, you and I are heirs to the throne tonight. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. uh, And the one that had a wonderful position of access uh, is just like those that want to rob you of your inheritance. Hezekiah's vision of Satan. The Bible says, as they're building the the temple, Hezekiah is there prophesying to all the workers while the construction workers are working and he's prophesying to encourage them to build this house because God will move in this house and in one of his visions, he says, I saw a vision of Joshua, the high priest and he's in a courtroom and he's dressed in filthy rags and the Satan is there like the prosecuting attorney and he describes as he's hurling accusation after accusation over Joshua and he's the high priest, He he's covered in rags and he's filled with shame he's a picture of the sinfulness of those people and the satan is there hurling accusation and hurling and he can't respond and Jezekiah says i see satan doing this this and that is exactly what he does tonight here are people, you're, you come to church, you serve God, but listen, if we could see in the Spirit, it's like you're sitting there in rags, your face covered in shame, and the devil is hurling accusation. How dare you? How could you? Anybody here know what I'm talking about? That is what he does. He is the accuser of the brethren. Sometimes because of our own sense of right and wrong, you know, Christians are very, very good at letting the devil do this. We'll give an ear to this. Somehow we think it's spiritual to be condemned. To walk in this, to allow him. Listen to me tonight. You will never shut the devil up. If you live your whole life to finally satisfy him, that will never happen. He will go from making you proud to making you condemned in an instant. You know what the accuser of brethren also does? If he's not accusing you, then he's accusing everybody around you. If he's not pointing the finger at you, then he will point the finger at others to you. It will not just be your failings, but everybody else's failings. He will never shut up. When I hear people talk about all the, quote, hypocrites of the church, I know they didn't hear that from the Spirit of God. This is the accuser tonight. And he will have you bound this way because he is alive and well on planet Earth. Let me close and talk about the devil's demise. How many agree tonight that the devil is a defeated foe? Let's be careful that we don't give him too much credit this evening. I was talking to a a uh, pastor friend of mine, uh, about his haunted house. Uh, and they had the assorted goblins uh, and devils and vampires and things in their haunted house. But he said what was very interesting is they received some complaints from some of the people in the church. Because uh, they, 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 I don't know if they were new. I, don't, I, don't, I think the church hadn't done too many haunted houses. I'm, I'm not sure. But some of the people in the church were offended uh, because they thought you shouldn't be making fun of some of those people uh, uh, those characters like I like, kind of like we don't want to get the devil mad like, you know we don't, you know you're 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 stirring up a hornet's nest uh, uh by by uh by uh, you know portraying uh, these uh, goblins and these devils uh you know the way that we do we we shouldn't ma- listen tonight let's get the devil mad can you say man let god be true and every man a liar tonight uh, we don't want to get the devil mad you know we don't want to call him a liar He is a defeated foe. And the Christian must function and embrace the truths of Scripture here uh, that says absolutely there's a devil, uh, and absolutely we need to be aware of him, uh, but we also need to be aware of his status uh, and his posture and his position according to the Word of God. Three things the Bible says about the devil tonight. Uh, Number one, uh, he was defeated at Calvary. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, not only did he die and shed his blood to forgive our sins, the perfect sacrifice, but more than that, the Bible says he defeated Satan at Calvary's cross. That what he did there was a place of victory. Colossians 2:15. Not only did he get the handwriting of ordinances that were against us and nail them to the cross, uh, all the evidence that we were sinners, but the Bible says he spoiled principalities and powers that he defeated them the word spoil there is a word we don't really use here in uh, in our modern English but it means to the victor go the spoils uh, that when you defeat the enemy you take what the enemy had Uh, that's why we sing I went to the enemy's camp tonight uh, because Jesus Christ defeated the devil the message translation of that verse says it this way, He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Hallelujah. Back in the day when you would defeat an enemy, uh, you would go and you would get the opposing king and you didn't just kill him, uh, but you stripped him naked. Uh, and as you came marching back into your uh, city uh, and everybody came for the victory parade, uh, the, the the main part, the coup de grace, the, the main feature of the parade uh, is when that emperor, of that other, the enemy, uh, was marched naked uh, and stripped of all of his royalty before the people. And everybody cheered to say that, that, That tyrant is no longer a tyrant. I've got good news tonight. Satan is a defeated foe. Jesus wins tonight. Not only was he defeated at Calvary, he is being defeated by the church. That you and I take what Jesus did at Calvary's cross uh, and we must employ that. We must make that work. Just because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world does not mean the whole world is saved. But you know what it does mean? It means that any man or any woman can take and appropriate what Jesus did 2,000 years ago into their own personal life. And you can really find forgiveness of sins. That's also true tonight that he defeated the enemy at Calvary's cross. Uh, But beloved, you and I must now take uh, that defeat um, and we must make it real in our own lives. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, I give you the keys uh, of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. The posture of the Christian is not, Oh God, please defeat the devil. God, tell the devil to leave me alone. Stop it. Leave me alone. And to to Jesus, come. How many know our position is that Jesus has already died. He says, I have given you the keys to the kingdom. You're the ruling class in the spirit world. You have authority over him. You don't have to go and ask God to, to take care of him. God says, you have authority. You kick his butt. You exercise authority. You exercise dominion. He is defeated. Um, I give you all power, Luke 10, 19, or mastery over the power of uh, the enemy. Amen. That is why the Bible says we have authority to cast out devils. That we have been deputized. Now, I appreciate Coming and bringing people to the pastor uh, and to the, the staff and leaders, and I'm all for that. Don't misunderstand me, but don't walk around to think that somehow you're powerless. We don't have a laity clergy mentality around here where, you know, God uh, has deposited all His authority in a handful of spiritual leaders and and the rest of the poor sheep are helpless. No, 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 no. that's not Christianity. Christianity uh, is that He can take any one of us that have the Spirit of God and you have power and authority tonight. Thirdly, Not only was he defeated at Calvary, and not only is he being defeated now by the church, but he will be defeated forever. John says, I saw Satan cast into the lake of fire. Now, you got to understand that John said that in the book of Revelations, chapter 20. And when he says, I saw Satan cast into the lake of fire, those words were being written in the first century to Christians who were suffering incredible persecution. And he looked down the road and he saw the tribulation period. He saw the absolute exaltation of Satan through the Antichrist uh, and a world that is completely ruled by Satan. If you want to know if the world would be like ruled by Satan, read for yourself the book of Revelation. And as you read about the, 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 the disease and the wars and the death of uh, and the persecution and the famine, that's what a world would look like that was totally ruled by Satan. That's why, you know, if you're wearing tight jeans and a black shirt and think you're Satanist, you are out of your mind tonight. And in that setting, he begins to describe this incredible persecution of godly people who stand against the, the uh the government uh, controlled by satan and as a result they they're beheaded and they suffer all this persecution and it is to these people that john begins to speak about and at the very end uh, he begins to say to those people i saw satan cast into the lake of fire he is defeated tonight that's his future Oh, well, you know, I'm tired of serving God. I'm just going to give up. Why would you follow the one who is going to be defeated? The Apostle Paul wrote to a church that was in the middle of persecution and says, Satan will be put under your feet shortly. Here are people who are in the middle of it. And he says, listen, you know what? Whatever you're going to, hang on because Satan is going to be put under your feet shortly. He is a defeated folk. His future, there's demise. And you and I must live in light of that. Many years ago, Joe Campbell and I were preaching way out in the Far East and a different time zone. And I remember we walked into a restaurant one day And lo and behold, they had an NBA playoff game. It was the Phoenix Suns. This is back a long time ago when they were good. And uh, they were playing the Seattle Supersonics in a playoff game. And, And we sat down, a game was going on, and Joe Campbell says to me, I'll bet you dinner that the Suns win. And so you don't have to persuade me to go against the Suns. And I said, hey, yeah, you know what, let's do it. And and sure enough, the Suns won the game, and I had to buy Joe Campbell dinner. And then later on, we were sharing a room. He confessed to me that that was actually a tape-delayed game. (laughs) And that he had been talking to Connie and had asked her who won the game, and she had told him. And as we walked in this restaurant, he already knew the outcome of the game. He burned me. How many know, beloved, we already know the outcome. Can you say amen? You're in the middle. You and I are watching it. But John says, listen, uh, I saw him cast into the lake of fire. He's not going to win. His demise, um, beloved, has been prophesied. So don't listen to him tonight. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't write it off. Don't follow Him. Jesus Christ has brought victory this evening. Let's bow our heads. No one moving about just for a minute. First of all, I want to ask if there's anybody here, you're not right with God tonight. You need forgiveness of sins. You need the blood of Jesus to cleanse you and wash you. I've got good news tonight. Truth. Can set you free Be honest with God About the condition of your soul This evening It does not matter If you're religious Or if you go to church Or you believe in God I'm asking you to be honest And take a look down on the inside What about your heart tonight? Are you right? Do you need your sins forgiven? Have you surrendered entirely to Jesus? Friend, He died on the cross He shed His blood for you He rose from the dead Tonight He is your Savior And if you're here Say, Pastor Ruby I need Jesus I need forgiveness. I need God's mercy on my life. And I want to follow Christ. If that's you and you want prayer, you want to be saved tonight, I'm going to ask you to do something just to raise your hand and by raising your hand, you're saying, I need prayer, Pastor, because I'm not right with God. But tonight I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to turn from sin. I'm going to follow Christ. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand up high where I can see it. And by holding you there, you're saying, I need prayer tonight. Would you pray for me? Lift up your hand. God bless you, ma'am. Who else? God bless you. Who else? Anybody else? Just slip up your hand all around this building. God's dealing with you this evening. Would you respond? Anybody else? Maybe you're a backslider. You walked with God at one time, but you're backslidden, and God's dealing with you tonight. You're saying, you know what? Uh, I I know exactly what you're talking about, Pastor. I, I listened to that voice. I went that way. But God has brought you back because he's not finished with you tonight. Lift up your hand and say, that's me. I'm backslidden. But I want to repent tonight. I want to get my heart right. Lift it up all around this building. These hands have gone up. Are there any others? Before I move on, I want to give you an opportunity to be saved. I want you to lift your hand. Lift your hand and look at me just for a minute. I want prayer. Pray for me. Anybody else? You lifted your hand. Man, would you come? I want to pray for you right here. I want you to come. Come on. Don't be embarrassed. I want you to come right now. These are coming. Don't be embarrassed. Come on up. These are coming. Hands have gone up. There are still others. I want you to come. Praise the Lord. Thank God. These who else? I want you to come. need a couple of workers to help us this evening, a sister to help us tonight. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for coming. And this counselor will minister to you this evening. Who else? I want you to just kneel right here. Anybody else? I want to get my heart right with God. Just step out from where you are. All right. While our heads are bowed, God's dealing with people this evening. I want to give my life to Jesus. These are coming. Thank God. The blood of Jesus can cleanse from sin tonight. Say, Lord, I surrender. There's victory. You don't have to be beat up, tormented, oppressed. Jesus heals all that were oppressed by the devil. We live in an oppressed world, folks. People are beat down. They think they've got to take drugs just to get through the day. Just to Listen, they're beat down. Jesus delivers tonight. You know, if you're going to be a Christian this evening, then you're going to have to understand there's a roaring lion walking about. That I must live my life aware that Satan's there. That this fallen angel has now positioned himself against those who would receive the inheritance that he had. Those that would have the access that he once enjoyed. And friend, he's a liar and he will do everything he can. Temptation. To be able to see, you know what, this is the devil. He may dress it up. He may make it look so exciting that, oh man, the holidays are coming around. I don't want to tie myself down to church. I don't want to obligate myself to do right. All the parties are, I'm telling you, it is a trap. It is a lure this evening. He's the accuser that will beat you down. Finding every flaw, making you live in rags and filth. To rob you of your inheritance. Say, you know what? You can't be a Christian. You've failed too many times. You've messed up. There's no hope for you. He wants to put you in a cage and rob you of your inheritance. He wants to whisper in your ear, if it's not about your faults, it's about the faults of others. But you know what? Tonight, he is a defeated foe. Jesus defeated him at the cross. You can defeat him tonight. God has given you and I the keys to walk in victory, to... Be the young men that overcome the wicked one. And you know I'm going to tell you something. He is a defeated foe. John says, "I saw him cast in the lake of fire." And there's some people here. You are in the middle of it tonight. Storm is raging. The roaring lion has pounced. I'm preaching this so that you would come and say, "You know what, God? My eyes are on you, and I will def- see this enemy defeated." Let's stand. I'm going to open these altars tonight. I want to invite you to come down.